0: news and information about every player, coach, and team in the National Hockey League. This is the Hockey Today podcast from ESPN.
1: Hey everybody, Stanley Cup playoffs well underway now and we're going to talk all eight series Big win for the Washington Capitals in overtime to start their pursuit of the Stanley Cup. And we hear from Brett Connolly, who played in his first NHL playoff game for the Caps. And Craig Custance chats with Patrick Hornquist of the defending Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins. And we talk some coaching and management changes in the Western Conference. All right, here we go. Hockey Today, the podcast, the first in-playoff edition of Hockey Today, the podcast. Craig Custance, you and I, well, right now, I'm in Washington, D.C., recovering from Game 1 of the Eastern Conference quarterfinal between Toronto and Washington, and Craig, you're getting ready for Game 2 of the Columbus-Pittsburgh series, and we will talk Eastern Conference in the second segment, but let's go west young man and we're going to talk some right. Western Conference playoff we're going to talk coaching changes and sometimes where coaching change is not even a change it's just uh, it's just Ken Hitchcock going back to where he was so uh, but let's start with the the early playoff action in the Western Conference um, I'm curious I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that um, that the road teams have had success in general and I'm wondering mm-hmm. whether you were uh, I wish Pierre was on because he likes it when I ask him if he's surprised by anything. But I'm wondering if you were surprised <laughs> by the San Jose Sharks sort of, uh, I think uh, in some ways maybe teaching the young pups from Edmonton a lesson. Um, was that sort of what you expected? Or or did you think that uh, that maybe the Sharks being so banged up were, were going to be ripe for Edmonton to jump on early?
0: Well, I, I, you know, I thought that was going to be a close series. And obviously we're so early into it. And it seems like... Game two is always the opposite of game one in every series, right? You get that pushback, so you don't want to make any conclusions. But when I picked the Sharks, and a big reason for that was because they're experienced, and they know exactly what to expect. And there's nothing in early deficit, there's nothing that's going to rattle them because that group has been through everything together. So uh, it played out almost exactly how you would imagine between a a young team um, and a a team that's been there before. My only surprise is... Um, that Joe Thornton isn't playing and I thought he would find a way if he could walk to get in there and, and that the Sharks were able to win without him I, I was definitely concerned about that injury and I thought, boy, if Joe Thornton can't go they they might be in trouble and uh, that was a huge win without him
1: Now, do you, do you think I mean, this is—it's been the season of the kids, and certainly, it's the playoff of the kids, right? I mean, that this whole dynamic in the series—I'm covering uh, Washington, Toronto, and of course, Pierre LeBrun will pick up the uh, the games when uh, it shifts back to Toronto, and there is that is that's the identity of the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? They're the kids. What are they doing here? Yeah, the Oilers are a little bit different, I think, because we've been expecting this for some period of time, you know, the the, the expectation that well, at some point the Oilers are going to get it right and those kids, of course, let, led by Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are, are going to be the ones that catapult them, not just to the playoffs, but to something more. Do, do you think that this is a team, as a as a young team, do you think you can learn on the fly in a mm-hmm. playoff series? Like, Will yeah. the Oilers learn from what they're going through? First time in the playoffs for that franchise since 2006. Are they going to be able to learn on the fly? Or is it really the kind of process that it might take a series, right? Like at the end of the day, they might be one and done because that's what you have to do.
0: Yeah, I, I think they're going to have to learn on the fly. And I think they can. Um, the, the comparison I've made with these teams is is that... I guess it would be the 2009 Blackhawks, right? And yep. the, a young group but still was able to go on a run and I think part of it was because they they were learning as they went and and um I it's funny I know we're going to get to the East in a second but this pertains to it. I had a like a really extended conversation with Zach Wierenski, the you know great young defenseman yep. for the Blue Jackets and he's and I just said, "Well, you know, as a young player making your debut, what what stood out to you the, the most in that first game?" And he he thought a minute and he goes, "You know, it was just how costly a mistake is. And maybe you can get away with stuff during the regular season. Um, he said it was two things. It's how costly mistakes are, and and you know, you, and if you don't capitalize on the chances you get, you're, you're done. And he's like, you know, he had a really good look early on in the first period. The Blue Jackets came offline, and he wasn't able to capitalize. And he could just tell, like, he went back and, and watched the replay, and he was really talking, maybe I should have gone blocker side, and was really kind of thinking about it. And I think all of those young players are going to go through that same self-analysis and say, okay, what did we learn in game one? What can we not do in game two so we don't repeat it? And I do think they can learn on the fly. It's, it's funny
1: that you should mention this, you know, the ability to capitalize and and the price you pay when you don't. And, I, and we talked before the playoffs about that Minnesota St. Louis series, and, and you and Pierre ganged yeah. up on me, and I'm, I'm still smarting from the uh, from the abuse <laughs> that I took. Because um, if I'm not mistaken, you and Pierre believe that the Blues uh, might get the better of the Minnesota Wild. Uh, but that, yeah, we both it, you know, the Blues. The, <laughs> the Wild fell behind early after Jake Allen stood on his head. It wasn't from lack of quality chances from the the Minnesota Wild. But this is a team that we've talked a lot about during the last third of the season because they haven't been a team that has responded particularly well to adversity and i yeah. wonder if this is one of those sort of early tests where if you're bruce boudreau and you're that uh, it's a really veteran team right and you think about miko koivu and zach parise and uh ryan Souter and you know all sure, down the list all, really. all those
0: guys yeah they've all been around yeah yeah
1: so it's uh, like is this is this sort of the an early Waterloo moment for the Minnesota Wild, or what? No. What did you make well, of, yeah. of how that started?
0: I, I mean, it was it, it was funny. I just turned in our goalie rankings um, for the we, we you know rank each position in the playoffs, and I had Jake Allen as the the last goalie, and was <laughs> yes. feeling good about myself. Turned that in, and you know we just had a kind of a quote from a coach who you know until Jake Allen proves it, you just can't you know can't have a faith in him and. Of course, he goes out and makes six million saves and, <laughs> and, and was outstanding. And and I, to me, that was you know that was a wild card because I, I these teams are so even um, that that you know I, if Jake Allen, Allen's going to play like that, that's that's it becomes this huge edge for the Blues. So um, I, I do think on some level, like we've we've kind of criticized the Wild for their inability to withstand some. Some tough times and, and that was a tough loss, a tough way to open it. But I you know, they've been around the block too and, and I don't think it's gonna they're gonna pack up the tents after that one game. Yeah,
1: no, I, I, I still think that's gonna be long and drawn out. I think
0: that's a seven gamer.
1: Yeah. And while we're on the subject of goaltending and uh, and that's I, I of course I read everything you write, but I did read with great interest your goalie <laughs> rankings and you um, know it's been interesting to watch Pecarina the last couple of years in, mm-hmm. in Nashville. I mean so much the especially with Shea Weber being traded last summer, you know, is really the the face of that franchise. You know, I know PK Subban is a big personality and I know Ryan Johansson is the long-awaited franchise center that came in the Seth Jones deal. All those things, but this is this is Pecorine's team, and he's been there yeah. from the beginning. Really, grew up in that franchise. Uh, he's a huge part of the community there, uh, and I, I was pleased for him, and especially because he appeared on Hockey Today, the podcast, in our playoff preview edition. Uh, but he was sensational right. in the pre. Yeah, exactly. I, see, I believe that now all NHL players should look at. What happens when you appear on Hockey Day, the podcast? You pitch a shutout in your uh, first
0: playoff start, and that was it's that's like the, whatever big... the opposite of it's like the opposite of the coverage jinx, right? That's like it, exactly. You like go it. on the podcast, and you're going to make 29 saves. And that's it, yeah, guaranteed. Black At Blackout. least 29,
1: maybe 30. <laughs> uh, but that was.
0: Uh, uh, uh,
1: a pretty important win for the Nashville Predators and I I lament now who knows how this series will turn out of course because it's so early and I but I have lamented right from the get-go that I didn't have the courage to pick Nashville to win that series I just thought Chicago is they're just too Chicago right too much of uh, of a lot but that was pretty big win for Nashville and I thought it was important not just for Pecorine but you know the the big line. Victor Robertson gets a goal and and set up by Ryan Johansson. And uh, I I think that series that might be uh, certainly in the Western Conference the one I'm most curious about. Dude, what do yeah. you think?
0: Well, it was interesting because I think we all like as a as a group the ES, team ESPN picked the Blackhawks across the board. And every when you looked at predictions and then you know I interviewed you know five people in hockey and they all picked the Blackhawks. And it just looked like everywhere you look, every, everybody who picked the Blackhawks. But it, it's a series that everyone thinks is going to be close. Like I, I look at it as almost a coin toss, and yet everybody picked the Blackhawks. And I think when you're kind of evaluating coin tosses, you always just err on the side of the team you've seen do it before and, and that he knows how to do it. And I hate to keep going back to that, and that's how I feel about the Blackhawks, and that's why I picked them. And, and I, you know, if there's a group that can withstand a... a Slow start or a disappointing game one—it's that group of Blackhawks. Like I, I don't think anything's going to rattle them or slow them down. And I feel like they trail every series, anyways, three to yeah. two at some point, right? Isn't that the, the Blackhawks rule? Like they have to be trailing three to two going, you know, going into the last couple of games. Like they'll they'll get it together. But I, I thought, you know, Pekarene was was another goalie that, um, you know, it's funny three goalies that had great. Opening um, games. Jake Allen, Pekarine, and Henrik Lundqvist were all goalies that, when I talked to people, you know, coaches or scouts, those were all three goalies that people didn't have a lot of faith in. And, and I thought all three of them made a statement in round one or game one.
1: Do you? Um, and I agree with you. I, I think that was uh, it, again. It's all about the sustainability of it uh, yeah. now, but. Uh, I'm curious about whether you uh, followed the uh, Anaheim Ducks, of course, coming up with a victory in, in the first game. It, narrowly, I, when we got done with our game, the Washington Toronto overtime game, managed to see most of the third period, and I still don't know how the Flames didn't tie that game at the, at the end know. of it.
0: We were talking about but, that at the rank this morning. Like, how yeah. oh, don't you score?
1: But more importantly, uh, the big news coming out of Anaheim is that the PR staff there uh, provided reporters covering the series with In-N-Out Burger. And <laughs> I, I I know that uh, often there's some uh, competition within the PR staffs once the playoffs get going. And Ducks Kings have been going at it for years in terms of the treatment, uh, the the foodstuffs for the reporters. But I got to tell you, I, I think In-N-Out Burger overrated, my friend.
0: Wow. Really, and, Scotty? Yep. Just telling you. Well, it, it certainly beats, um, you know, the popcorn that I got all year long in Joe Louis Arena press box. So I, I am not would not complain. I, in fact, I should probably send a picture of that spread that we we're seeing on Twitter of the In-N-Out Burger to the fine PR staffs in Columbus and Pittsburgh. The series I'm covering right now, because that's I think it's a good idea. I think I think it's actually really good luck if you <laughs> if you give the uh, media In-N-Out Burger. I think you'll you'll win your next playoff game. All
1: right, that's, that's yeah, proven that's out I'm not sure it's worked. Uh, I was trying to count up. Uh, well, the, I mean, Ducks won a cup in 07, so I haven't won anything since. But, um, all right we were always
0: some... do it? I feel like Pierre's. I feel like Pierre's gotten In-N-Out Burger from the Ducks PR before, right? <laughs> That's it.
1: They may just give it yeah. to him specifically, though. That may, <laughs> uh, Before, I want we we're going to touch on some of the uh, coaching and management changes uh, around the NHL and certainly in the Western Conference. But uh, just before we leave the initial playoff activity in the West, is there... Is there something that jumps out to you? Or is there something that you've been, you know, sort of taken great note of, or that has given, you know, major eyebrows go up, or is there sort of a, a Western Conference first week of the playoffs uh, moment or, or player for you?
0: Um, no, I just I, I think you know when I look at those series, um, I, that the Chicago Nashville series to me I, I, is the one like like you mentioned. I'm just going to be curious to see how it plays out because. Um, the, the criticism of, of the Nashville Predators, they added all this skill in guys like PK Subban and Ryan Johansson and, and, and you, you heard all this criticism kind of from people you'd have conversations with and say, yeah, but I, I don't like that dressing room now. Right. You lose, yeah. you lost so much presence with Shea Weber gone. And, and, you know, some of those guys don't necessarily have, you know, great reputation as winners. And if they go out and that, you know, that crew beats the Chicago Blackhawks, who are like the epitome of winners. Right. And are loaded with leadership and all the things that we we all love. If they can go out and do that. And I I just think it would shut a lot of people up. And I'd be that's that's I'm really curious to see if Nashville can pull it off.
1: Yeah, I I, I think I'm I'm waiting to see and. Mostly because it's all about me, as as per usual. I'm I'm curious <laughs> to see what what kind of bounce back we see from the Minnesota Wild, and they yeah. probably deserved a better fate uh, in Game One. But that's you know that's a good you know the Blues are are in a great spot, hit the playoffs, absolutely cooking and. You know, Mike yo has got them in a really good spot, so it's uh, that's another, again, sort of lower profile series, but lots of lots of juice to that one. So I'm I'm curious to see how things unfold in the coming days with that. Uh, let's turn our attention to some of the changes for non-playoff teams. Of course, we saw Willie Desjardins, the head coach in Vancouver, uh, relieved of his duties. Uh, no surprise that uh, Lindy Ruff was not. Um, uh, extended his contract was out in in Dallas and they parted ways and of course as I alluded to earlier the once and former and now future and current Dallas Stars head coach Ken (laughs) Hitchcock speaking of the St. Louis Blues um, it's been a very Uh, weird year for Ken Hitchcock right he starts season announcing he's going to retire and Mike Yeo's the assistant head slash head coach in waiting in St. Louis and they end up firing Ken Hitchcock on February 1st and now he's back at it back in in Dallas where he won a cup in um, in 1999 and really is part of such a an important part of the sport landscape in Dallas not just the hockey landscape but the sport landscape there when you think of Brett Hall and Mike Medano and Ed Belfort, yeah, and, you know, it's just that that's those players are still revered in that city as they should be and I think Ken Hitchcock is is revered as well it's, but like, are you comfortable with? Can you go home again if you're if you're the the head coach of the Dallas Stars? Part two is this going to be a good fit for Ken.
0: I think so. I they might want to see how the Randy Carlyle experiment worked out uh, before they you know tried to duplicate it, it in Anaheim and Dallas. But I I liked that hire. I I mean I just I have a ton of respect for Ken Hitchcock and what he what he brings as a coach and and. Um, it, it was interesting because the Blues, of course, beat the, the Stars last year in round two of the playoffs. And I remember Ken Hitchcock's last press conference. I think it was, um, yeah, it, was, it would have been in St. Louis. And he was asked about the Stars and just kind of his final impressions of them after eliminating them. And he said that that team right there and the way they play, and you know the, the skill and the speed and the offense that they have, that's the future of the NHL. Like, that's where all where we're all headed. And, in, in, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I'm um, I, I never in a million years, as I'm listening to him say that, am I thinking, boy, you know, you're going to be the guy that's leading that in, the, in a year. And it's crazy now that, that he's doing it. And it's interesting because Ken Hitchcock doesn't necessarily have a reputation of being, you know, an offensive uh, speed and forwards and let, let the boys go kind of coach. And it'll be interesting to see... If his style, you know, if he adapts to that roster a little different than what they had in St. Louis, which was, I always looked at the Blues as kind of this, you know, uh, kind of a Los Angeles Kings 2.0, right? Like they, they, yeah. they kind of were built in the same vein as the Kings. And the, the Stars certainly aren't. They're built completely different. It's Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. And, and I, you know, I'll be curious to see if, if he kind of adjusts his system and the way he plays to, to fit that personnel.
1: I'm, um, I'm curious. What about you? Yeah? Well, I, I I like it. I'm I'm always a bit um, I don't know, skeptical. Me, I don't know whether it's skepticism or not. But I always think when a coach, you know, is fired and it's and it's clearly this was there was an emotional thing for Ken Hitchcock, right? He'd already presumably, you know, in his heart of hearts felt that this was going to be his last year as a head coach, and obviously wanted to follow up last year's trip to the Western Conference Final in a. You know, much different manner with the Blues, and it didn't turn out that way, way. So I understand the desire to write your own script, right? You want to write your own exit script, and I, I completely get that. But um, I, I just, it is going to be interesting because, and I think he Ken probably doesn't get enough credit for being able to um, get the most out of offensive players. I mean, you think of uh, Tarasenko and his emergence in St. Louis under Ken Hitchcock um now you, you know is would that have happened anyway and was there some chafing maybe under Ken Hitchcock for Tarasenko? I mean, possibly, but um and certainly uh, you know the <laughs> possibly
0: story. yeah i think i think we can say yes <laughs> yes i think we can say that. can yes. we not <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no we can there say there was some that. chafing
1: <laughs> yes yeah um, you know, so that's going to be interesting. You know, how you know, what's the relationship going to be like with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben? Uh, but for mm-hmm. me, though, I I wonder what kind of influence Ken Hitchcock is going to have with Jim Nill when it comes to finally getting the goaltending question resolved. Because you know, and I I know Ken, it's more than the goaltending, but it's it, you know it's a glaring hole in that lineup, and it needs to be addressed. And yeah. it should have been addressed this past off season. And you know maybe things would be different for Lindy Ruff, but I'm curious to see what kind of role Ken Hitchcock is going to have in what is the most important job at the off season for Jim Neal in my mind.
0: Yeah, I think a couple of things. You need a, you need a new goalie. You need maybe a, in a perfect world a top four defenseman. They have all those young defensemen, but I'd like to. You always want to slot them down a, a, a slot if you can, and and. Um, The one thing to say about the Stars goalies, and I'm not, you know, again, not defending them like I always do, but is (laughs) is that Ken Hitchcock tends to, you know, goalies that play in the Ken Hitchcock system tend to do really well. Um, You know, I think of like guys like Pascal LeClaire or, you know, Brian Elliott put up great numbers for years. And aside from Jake Allen this year, during when when it went sideways and he seemed to lose confidence, you know, goalies more often than not, I bet you if you compare like the the Ken Hitchcock goalie save percentage compared to the league average over history, it's there's probably a pretty big gap there. and So, you know, I wonder if just the hiring of Ken Hitchcock helps the goalie situation because they're going to play better in front of them and it's easier to play goal. And that was always the kind of the um, criticism you heard from people you talked to in Dallas would be like, yeah, I know the goalies have been great, but it's, you know they're giving up Grade A opportunities left and right in Dallas, and that's—I don't care who you are—that's hard to do on a daily basis. So that's hard to deal with. Um, I just don't know how they get out of those contracts. Have you been able to figure that out? You've been—you've <laughs> been banging the the drum for the Stars to get a new goalie, you know, for a year, and rightfully so. But those guys have term on the contracts, and this isn't Dallas isn't the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like you can't—you uh, know—can they just buy out one of those guys and and suck suck up that loss? I don't know if the Stars have that kind of budget.
1: I don't know. When when you don't make the playoffs and you don't get that playoff revenue, uh, I think it, maybe it's a chicken egg thing, but I, I mean, you can't afford not to be making, you, you can't afford to not completely wipe the slate clean. I was just looking at Steve Mason, who, of course, yeah. uh, recorded 10 shutouts under Ken Hitchcock in his rookie season with the Columbus
0: Blue Jackets. So just <laughs> throwing that example. name out there, too, just to
1: uh, be interesting. Free agent, isn't he? Free agent? Unrestricted free agent, Steve That's Mason?
0: Right. That's right. I wrote today. Um, we did. I did the mailbag, and I, you know, the guy that I keep saying for that spot is Scott Darling, the Blackhawks backup. I think he would be perfect. Um, in Philadelphia or in there. Dallas? No, in Dallas. I think yeah. he would be a great goalie for that. I, you know, I don't know. What, there's some risk there um, in kind of taking a backup, and you're hoping that he's the next Cam Talbot or, or um, Martin Jones, but. I think he would be a great fit I, I'd way rather have him than some of the free agents you know like Steve Mason and some of the other guys
1: yeah i I think well I think Scott darling would be and again not because he's a friend of the podcast although he certainly is uh, I think he'd be a great fit in lots of places I mean Carolina is yeah, a team that r- a good one. they need to they need to upgrade and he I think he would be a nice fit there um yeah I think there's there's lots to Lots to like about Scott Darling in a lot of different potential places. Uh, Before the first segment of Hockey Today, the podcast, comes to a close. Though we would uh, be remiss if we did not discuss pretty dramatic changes with the Los Angeles Kings. Of course, uh, GM Dean Mm -hmm. Lombardi and head coach Daryl Sutter, um, both uh, relieved of their duties. And Luke Robitaille moving over from sort of the business side where he really was critical in helping rebrand that team and 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 make them one of the most um I think so sort of, I think model franchise I don't think it's uh, it's uh, overstating yeah, it to no. say that the work done there and of course Rob Blake hall of famer along with Luke Robitaille and both former kings um moves into the GM role and uh I guess I'm not really surprised, but it still gives you pause when when a tandem like Dean Lombardi and Daryl Sutter, who won two Cups and went to a West Final over the space of three years, um, it just shows you how quickly the window closes. What you, did you think it was unfair?
0: Uh, maybe a little, yeah. I I, I thought... I thought there would be a coaching change. I didn't think there'd be a GM change. And and um, I have we gotten to the story? Like I always, right away, my suspicion might have been maybe they wanted Daryl Sutter fired. And Dean wouldn't do it. I mean, we know how Dean is an emotional guy, and um, I, you know, I, I don't know if that if that's what happened or not. But I, yeah, I was I was surprised. And, and you know, the irony of this is that Dean Lombardi has has always gone out of his way to sur- surround himself with a lot of talented people, and. Yeah. And not only that, like he fights tooth and nail to keep him. Like he gets, I think he gets personally offended when Mike Feuda, you know, gets, uh, an interview somewhere else. Like, yeah. why would you ever want to leave? We're, we're doing something great here. And so he, you know, he did everything. He gave those guys raises and Rob Blake, he, 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 you know, he molded them and taught them and groomed them. And by keeping those guys around, um, basically they had the setup, the perfect setup to replace them. And, and, um, uh, so i you know i i certainly feel for dean lombardi because i i look at the nhl standings and there's general managers that remain employed uh, with their teams that haven't made the playoffs in years or haven't had near the success that dean lombardi had and i mean like garth snow's still at like not to, to you know <laughs> single out anybody but like <laughs> but you, you look at other guys butter, you're right? like boy <laughs> the, well i mean for example you know he just keeps on trucking there and they keep running them back and and you know and meanwhile, a guy like Dean Lombardi gets the axe. So, uh, but the, the the problem is though, Scott, is that I I sit there and go, okay, you you're making Rob Blake your GM. Luke Robitaille has more of a say, and now Mike Feud is the assistant GM, and I love that team. Like yep. I, I think it's a great front office. So I can't, you can't really even be that critical because I think that's like an A plus front office right now. And yeah. maybe it was just time for Dean Lombardi, and I really hope he finds something, you know, a, a role somewhere that entertains him because it's like the hockey world's way better when dean Lombardi's around
1: yeah there's no question and in some ways you know i mean when you, <clears throat> when you build a team that he built and he taught you know dean is here's you know he's such a uh, such an emotional person and so tied to the people that you know yes his staff but also the players right and in the end it sort of cost him because yeah. he probably should have bought out mike richards um you know when he had an opportunity to uh which i believe would have been the summer of 2013 um brought him back he did win he was part of that second cup winning team but it was you know it was too fourth good. line though like barely yeah, it like, was you know it was not good yeah but he, dean lombardi sends me a text after uh game one of the caps Leaf series uh, because justin williams is is absolutely he just was the best player in that game and scored two goals and it was just vintage Justin Williams, and so I sent Dean a, a text, and I just said, you know, I, I don't know if you want to feel like it. He's been fired, like, for 24 hours, but he got right back to me.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah,
1: he got right back to me, because uh, he couldn't say enough about Justin Williams, and and Justin right, was right. one of the guys that he brought there and was so important to Dean and the assistant GM at the time, Ron Hextall, who was in Philly, of course, uh, in, in in creating the culture of winning there, and Justin Williams was a huge part of that, and, you know, that's, that's the kind of you know the loyalty... You know, that you show in, in creating something special, which is definitely what happened in Los Angeles. And At the end of the day, in some ways, the loyalty may have helped hasten Dean Lombardi's exit from L.A. Do
0: you, do you think that's yeah, fair? Yeah, uh, for sure. And in fact, I if I'm an NHL owner, I don't want my GM to be loyal. I, I just don't. I would want my GM to be like the guy that never goes into the dressing room and doesn't even talk to the players. And this sounds really cold and callous. But I I want him operating on a different plane so that he can, you know I I, I think it was um, the Washington guys. Well somebody somebody compared like your roster to a portfolio of stocks, and it's like okay this is one we can keep, and, and this is this is all cold and callous, and I know these are players with families and all that stuff. But when you're managing a, a team and a roster in a cap era, you have to make really hard decisions, and I you know you almost want your GM to be you know, I would want them to be disloyal versus loyal. Am yeah. I wrong on that, and i
1: no, no, but it is that great it's a delicate thing, right because yeah. because what do you ask your players? You ask them to give and give and
0: give and you know, and then the, you just cut' them loose the second you yeah, you know they're no. not quite there, yeah, see I don't know I, though, yeah, but I think you know hard. I just the problem is you you when you reward for success in the past then at some point you're paying a price for it in the future, right? Yep. Yep. And and we're seeing that with the Dustin Brown contract. If at some point, the Jonathan Quick contract's not going to be good. The Gabrick contract's awful. Um, and, you know, there's a price to be paid for that.
1: True that. All right, my friend. With that, we are going to bring to a close the first segment of Hockey Today, the podcast, playoff edition. Playoffs rolling along, and we will roll along with the second segment of the podcast in exactly 1 minute. All right, here we go. Second segment Hockey Today the podcast playoff edition. And it's just like it's like picking up a hitchhiker in between segments, picked up Joey Mack. <laughs> Welcome aboard my friend. We're going to talk a little Eastern Conference and uh, It wasn't my thumb that I had holding up by the way. i'd stop for you anytime joey mack i'd stop and pick you up no problem at all And i don't generally pick up a hitchhiker but all right um craig and i talked we just briefly touched on uh, the washington uh toronto series and um to uh, to return to that and even though the leafs Ended up losing game one in, in overtime. Uh, pretty compelling game. Lots of space. I think probably a, a little more sloppy than either Barry Trotz, the head coach of the Capitals, or Mike Babcock of Toronto would like. But, but really fun and a, a real treat to see those those young kids go at it. Uh, Joey Mack, do you see, like, I think a lot of people have, have drawn parallels or made comparisons to the young Pittsburgh Penguins team back in '07, uh, when they first made the playoffs uh, unexpectedly and got beaten by Ottawa in the first round, or the young Chicago Blackhawks in uh, 09 uh, went to a surprise Western Conference final berth. Um, do you see that? Like, do you see? Do you, can you draw a line from A to B to C, or is that asking too much of this Leafs team?
2: No, not at all. I, you know, I think most people would be surprised on the type of uh, quick success that they've had this season, based on the entire rebuilding process and and getting these young guys, uh, you know, developed and, and ready for the NHL. That uh, not, not including Austin Matthews, but you know, I think it just got to a point, guys, where they probably figured, look, we've got nothing to lose. No one expected us, including our own, uh, you know, hockey operations department, and maybe the the GM and, and the team president, didn't expect us to be here. And now that we're here, you know, we've got nothing to lose. You know, it's, you know they can go out there and, and they can, you know, they're not going to be gripping their sticks too tight and they can just kind of relax and relax and play their game. And I think that's exactly what we saw uh, the other night. And I think part of it was, uh, you know, with the Capitals, you know, they, they have been locked in for so long that maybe they, they didn't come out the way that they wanted. They didn't start the way that they wanted to, and Toronto kind of caught them by surprise. But um, you know, then we saw obviously Washington kind of pick it up and, and turn it around and come back and win that game. But uh, to answer your question, Scotty, you know, it's it's just so much fun to watch, and and you can draw those parallels to to those teams that you mentioned because they all had young talent and they were ready for the spotlight. And I think this team is. Is as well, Um, and I'm really interested to see how the rest of this series plays out. Uh, I think in the end, you know, Washington is just too good, Um, but you never know. And but it was so much fun to watch that game, especially with two quick goals. You're like, wow! Imagine if the Capitals lost this series to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh man, it was crazy, but it was a lot of fun to watch. I'll
1: tell you, uh, Craig. It's is funny. I had a chat with Colby Armstrong uh, earlier today, and um, what just a true peach of a man uh, and you probably have uh, crossed paths with him in Pittsburgh because he's.
0: I have uh, he's still we, doing some media uh, had a good work conversation there, the other day. It's yeah. so good but to see Colby Armstrong.
1: Yeah, and he you know what? he's really uh he's he's a smart guy. He really I think he mm-hmm. really um thinks the game very well and he's done uh, quite a bit of media in the last year or so and uh, he does a really nice job but I was asking him about that first playoff series against um, the Ottawa Senators and the Senators at uh, at their peak there with Daniel Alfredson and Danny Heatley and Jason Spezza they were they were loaded <laughs> they were a loaded team went to the finals that year. And Colby Armstrong said, "Like we had no clue, <laughs> the Pegwoods had no clue what they were in for." He said, "We just went out. We're like we're playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and you know they lost in five games. It wasn't really close, but he felt that it was." You know, it was so important. And even at the end of that playoff series, they felt in that Pittsburgh room that they were close, like that they were going to to take that next step. I know it's a cliche. And he feels the same about that Leaf team. And, uh, of course, he played some in Toronto after leaving the Penguins. Um, so he understands, you know, the, the required change of culture that that the lease have had to go through after years of, of disappointment and failure and really not having a plan. Um, Craig, do you think it's like I, 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 let's let's be honest no one expects them to beat the Washington Capitals, uh, and especially you know maybe blowing an opportunity to to get an early, you know, cast some early doubt on the the Caps, but is it the kind of thing that this series even if they go out in 4 or 5 or whatever that next year that they get, could be that kind of team that takes a jump in goes around or two or two, a conference final or whatever
0: oh 100% i am on i am like firmly in the camp that the the leafs will win a Stanley cup in the next 3 years like i think we're I, we're, we're fast tracking this thing and and <laughs> Like you know, you mentioned the Penguins, and you know I mentioned earlier the Blackhawks, like the '09 Blackhawks. I'm looking at it; they beat Calgary and Vancouver, and then then when you talk to that Blackhawks team, they'll tell you the Western Conference Finals against an experienced Red Wings team that was not much of a series at all, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, Detroit dominated yeah. them, but the Blackhawks said that that moment was you know that was their moment where they learned what a championship team looks like and and how they prepare and how they play a series. And, you know, they don't go on the, the run in 2010 without getting that, that experience against the Blackhawks. And, and so if the Maple Leafs, you know, if, if they're getting that right now against the Capitals, who I don't expect they'll, that they'll beat, but this is a good Capitals team that could win a Stanley cup. And, you know, if they get those lessons out of this first series, I, that, you know, that's a great thing for this team. And I think, the benefit, the payoff will be down the road. I, I absolutely think that both them and the Oilers, they're, they're both on that fast track to be Stanley Cup winners in, in the short short term.
1: Hmm. All right, Joey Mackey, who wins the Stanley Cup first, Toronto Maple Leafs or the Edmonton Oilers?
2: Ooh, that's a great question. Wow, uh, I would yeah. love to see that in the finals. huh? How about those two teams? In the <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. <Fantastic. laughs> uh. Wow. You know what? Wow. I have... To, I, I'm going to go with the Oilers only because I think they're just a tick above where the Maple Leafs are right now. And obviously, it helps that you yeah, have Connor McDavid there. So, um, wow. I would love to see that, though. That's a. Wow, Scotty, you just blew my mind. I wasn't even thinking along those lines, but I go
1: with the Edmonton Oilers. All right. What do you think, Craig?
0: Um, I, I just think because of the defense, I, I think the Oilers' defense, while not great, is probably a little further along. Uh, I want to see who Toronto adds in the off season, but as constructed now, I would agree with Joey Mack. I, the Oilers are probably a little bit further along in their development, and Connor McDavid is, still is, I mean, he's ridiculous, and, uh, you know, I would, I would see them. The wild card to me is, you know, Mike Babcock, I think, I mean, and, you know, Todd McClellan's a great coach too, but Mike Babcock is such a great coach that, you know, you know he's going to max that team out um, in the short term. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would pick Edmonton, but boy, I don't feel great about it. No. You, Scott, since it's your question, you got to answer it. Uh, <laughs> there yeah, you no, go, I, think, crank.
1: I think you have to go Thank with you. the Oilers and, uh, I, um, and I, th- I think right now I would, I would have Cam Talbot ahead of Freddie Anderson with all due respect to Freddie, yeah. Freddie Anderson. Um, and that's a pretty pivotal part of the the puzzle. Um, But uh, it's interesting when you talk experience and, of course, uh, again, the the identity of the Leafs is is so wrapped up in their youthfulness and it's Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and uh, and William Nylander and all, you know, the rest of them, right? I mean, it's roughly five times as much playoff experience in the Caps lineup as there is in Toronto and most in Toronto is on their fourth line, right? It's Brian Boyle and Matt Martin and so, you know, James Van Riemsdijk is like a grizzled veteran. He's played, I think, the, 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 um, Game 1 was his 47th postseason game. You know, he's 27 years old. He's still a kid. So, um, right. But the Washington Capitals, uh, well over 1,000 games of playoff experience in that lineup. But there was one player heading into Game 1 who had never played in a playoff game. He was the lone Washington Capital who had his playoff debut this week and it was Brett Connolly. Uh, such an interesting guy. Uh, after we hear from Brett Connolly, Joey Mack, I want to ask you, because he did, you know, he he, he cruised through Boston. It was a fairly brief stay there, but, uh, you know, former number six overall pick of the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, really sort of got lost in the shuffle with the emergence of guys like Andre Palat and Tyler Johnson, and just never found a spot there, had some injury issues, and, Uh, was acquired by the Bruins, and then uh, ended up signing as a free agent with Washington. And um, he's found a nice role with the Washington Capitals. He's part of a really good third line with Andre Barakoski and uh, Lars Eller, uh, and very effective. And I think if the Caps are going to win the Stanley Cup this spring, which I believe is the case, um, it'll be because... um, you know, they're rolling four lines, and, and their top three lines can hurt you, and Brett Connolly's a big part of that. So let's give a listen to the man who played in his first ever NHL playoff game this week. Spent a lot of time leading into Game 1, talking about uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and all the, their youthful players' uh, first playoff experience. You're the lone Washington Capitol playing in your first playoff game. What was the moment like? Was it what you thought it was going to be like? What was that, what was that experience like for you?
3: It was good, it was exciting um you know, I thought uh kind of settled in as the game went on and um you know obviously, like I expected, it was uh, a lot of energy in the building and um, you know it was a good one a good first one to get the win in overtime and uh, hopefully uh can keep building from there but i thought uh I thought it was overall it was a it was a great first experience
1: and looking to get better here every day. Do you did you think a lot about it in the weeks leading up to this? I mean, it's it's a big moment. It's a big moment for any player, and I wonder, if, especially in a group where there is so much experience in this room, if maybe you know, if it was you felt it was maybe different for you because you were the only one going through those experiences leading up to it.
3: Yeah, it was. Uh, I was excited. I know. Um, you know a lot of the guys were chomping at the bit to get going, and um, you know, for myself, I was I was really excited to get that first one and. Um, so it's uh we got a lot of lot of good guys here that uh that kinda of lead the way and um you know good in the room, keep it kinda of calm and collected and you know I thought uh I thought it was good. There's a lot of guys that I can lean on here and but you know I thought uh you know the first half of the game was a little bit uh, a little bit little bit of jitters, but after that it was uh, it was good. I thought our line got better as the game went on
1: and um you know looking to you do know, have a full 60x game. Uh, yeah. Are you a memento guy? Do you keep the stick? Do you have a puck? Is there anything that you'll you sort of put in the Conley house that uh, that will remind you of the first ever playoff game? Or
3: I don't know. I don't think so. I think uh, maybe that first goal or something like that. But um, you know, it's uh, it's something I'll never forget. It's you know playing the NHL playoffs, and um, you know we got a team that hopefully can go on a big run here and. So we're, uh, we're taking it game by game and shift by shift, and uh, then uh, I think we should be fine if we can do that.
1: You talked about your line, uh, Andre and Lars. Uh, you, it's been a very nice um, connection, I think, between the three of you uh, this season. I know Barry has spoken very highly of, of the contributions from your trio. What do, you, what do you think has made it work so well, and what's, what's that been like for you to find that kind of rhythm?
3: Yeah, it was good. It, we, they put us together around Christmas, and um, I think we just, uh, you know, Lars is good up the middle and strong in the corners, and me and Berkey kind of use our skills and use our shot and speed and kind of get open and use each other, and I think it's been a good mix. I think we're all working for each other, and we're all talking. We're pretty comfortable with each other, and, you know, we're not afraid to, you know, to all, one of our linemates, or if it's Berkey telling me, or Lars telling Berkey, or vice versa, that we need to do better, or we need to go here, or there, or whatever. So we're we're working at our game, and we're we're constantly talking. So I think that uh, I think we're pretty comfortable with each other now. So it's uh, it makes it good and makes it easy. Um, you know, just go out there and play with guys you're comfortable with. So um, it's it's been a really good fit. I've been really happy with it.
1: Do you guys hang out? Like, is it like when you're on the road or when you're here? Like, do you? Is it like one of those things that you, you know, that they're sort of a connection that extends off the ice? I
3: think uh, I think mostly on the road. I know that Lars has a little girl and um, you know, I, my my fiance lives with me. So you know, Berkey's a single guy, and so it's kind of we kinda don't get to hang out as much at home. But on the road, we're we got a we got a tight group here. We're Every every dinner, um, everybody's invited, and there's no cliques, there's no uh, there's no groups. Everybody's, for the most part, one, and I think that makes us a good team. I think we obviously have really good players, but at the same time too, we got guys that get along and enjoy each other's company and can have some laughs, and uh, you know I think that uh, it makes it a lot easier to play. I think guys are definitely uh, willing to play for each other and stick up for each other and do what it takes to. You know someone could sit from behind there, you better believe that everybody's going to jump in there and, and help out and
1: I think our team has uh, gotten closer to your gone I think it 's fair to say it' probably hasn 't maybe been the path that you imagined it would be when you were first drafted to get here. Were there moments that you wondered if it was going to come together for you and, and and do you think you appreciate maybe what has transpired here in Washington uh, more given sort of the ups and downs that brought you here yeah it's uh
3: I look back at my start of my career, and you know, I lots of expectations on me, and you know, it just didn't work out in Tampa. I, you know, I it was I felt like I was kind of turning a corner there. Right as I got traded, I was starting to find my game a little bit, and then go to Boston and just you know thought it would be a good fit, but clearly it wasn't. And you know, I, I've been I've been really happy with how it's gone this year, and. um you know, I I've always believed in my abilities and I've always believed that I could I could score in this league and be a contributor and um you know, it, it's been great. I, I've you know, hopefully I can be here for for a long time and hopefully I can call this call the city home and and whatnot. But um, you know, it, it's good to contribute and you know, find your game and be comfortable with the system and um, you know, get intertwined with a good group of guys so um you know, I'm I'm happy with the way uh, it's, it's gone this year. I've, you know, hopefully found a home here.
1: Did you get much chance to get a sense of Brett Connolly when he was in Boston? Joy Mac again, it wasn't he wasn't there all that long. He played 76 games, so he played part of 2014-15, played five games there, and then uh, all of 15-16. Do, do you have a sense of him, and, and are you surprised by maybe what he's, you know that he's found a niche in Washington?
2: No, I'm not. Uh, when the Bruins acquired him, it was a it was an interesting move at the time, and and I thought, okay, his former first rounder, as you mentioned, Scotty, and there were obviously there was no room for him in in Tampa, and uh, so when Boston got him, okay, this is going to be a good guy that you can plug in in, in different areas. He's a versatile player, uh, and then he got hurt right away and he missed a lot of time. So you know he really didn't get off to a, a great start, but he he admitted at the time that he had to change his game a little bit because he knew in order to get into the lineup he was going to have to play that third fourth line role uh, he had to be had to be a lot more physical than probably he had, he had been used to in the past uh, and he was able to do that but he just really couldn't find uh, you know couldn't really produce the way that the Bruins needed him to and, and it wasn't just him it was you know there were a lot of injuries on that team and, and they just they weren't clicking and um so to see this, the success that that Connolly's having now or, or had this year his first season um you know with the capitals and, and what he's able to what he's been able to do so far uh, no i'm not surprised you know he he's a he's an electric player when you know when he has the opportunity you know to be that guy so uh it, it's good to see i mean off the ice he he was always great to deal with and and um you know love to talk hockey and so um i'm happy i'm happy for him and and it just, I'm not surprised, given the fact that you know, you're talking about a former first rounder who's just, you know, just a talented guy, and he's finally getting the proper opportunity uh, with the Washington Capitals.
1: Craig, you? Um, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting to look at how the Caps are put together, and mm-hmm. you know, you've got Brett Connolly on this on this third line. Burakovsky's another like he's a high end, talented player. Playing on that third line, Kevin Shattenkirk playing on the third pairing, on the blue line. <laughs> That's pretty uh, ridiculous. Yeah, it's it, it is when you think of the Caps, uh, and you're covering Pittsburgh, Columbus, and uh, yeah. let's get to that. I mean, do you? Is it too early to look ahead and, and think Washington, Pittsburgh, second round for the second <laughs>
0: straight year? <laughs> Oh man. No yes, I think it is too early. We're we're uh, uh, but I'll say this about the Capitals. I mean, you mentioned Brett Connolly in in you know, in kind of doing some research for our predictions and all of our playoff preview coverage, you know, more than one person mentioned that fourth line in in Washington in third and fourth line. And this is the difference yeah. that this Capitals team has that maybe they didn't have in the past and and specifically, you know, somebody highlighted jb Beagle and they're like, people don't appreciate how good Jay Beagle is and especially as your as your four, on your fourth line and there was times where he was miscast and probably played too far up the lineup and and those were probably not in the capitals best days but they're like if jay beagle is you know centering your fourth line you're doing really well and you know you have guys like tom wilson scores that big goal and daniel winnick and like those are that's these are nhl players like that's a good line and and you know Lars zeller was basically traded for this moment to have that third line center and and if the Capitals win, I think we're going to look back and say, yes, it was Ovi and the Stars, but the, a big reason is going to be that bottom six. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, let's turn our attention to that Columbus-Pittsburgh series. I'm with you, Craig. I I, I certainly don't want to count the Columbus Blue Jackets out. Um, too good a team, too well coached. Um, but Joey Mack, did, did, did there's something like the Blue Jackets, and it has been this way for – you know, a period of time where the offense is, has been, it's been very hard for it. It's been hard for the Blue Jackets to generate offense. And even as good as Sergei Bobrovsky is in goal, it's, you know, there's no way they're going to beat Pittsburgh unless they find some, some way to get the offense going. And that means the power play, which for a long time was the best power play in the NHL. Um, do you, are you optimistic? Do you have a sense that, you know, is there is there some pushback in in the the Blue Jackets lineup? Are we going to see some fireworks offensively from a team that's got lots going on, right? Lots of lots of talent there, but it just has been dormant for a, a period of time. I hope
2: so, because I picked him to win this series. <laughs> 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 you know, I don't think uh. Mike Sullivan's going to talk to me for a while. But uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the one thing with the Blue Jackets, and I, you know, it starts with with John Tonerello. I mean, we we all know that. You know, going back to uh, the World Cup and Team USA, like the, the type of team that he wanted to put together, and it obviously didn't work out the way that USA Hockey wanted it to, but um, but with the Blue Jackets, they have, a, I think, a, a similar identity because Tortorella has them um, all fired up, grinding it out, ready to go, and, and I think there is going to be a pushback because, you know, that's the type of team that they are. And, and the one thing about the offense, I think, and... and Craigs obviously a little closer to the series than I am, but you know the, the one thing with Columbus's offense, or, or sometimes where it struggled, was you know just getting out of its own its own end. You know the, the Penguins do a really good job of collapsing on the wall, uh, just kind of shutting down any type of sustained breakout. Um, and I think once Columbus figures that out, they're going to be able to get through the neutral zone and into the offensive zone and, and maybe create some more chances that they that they weren't able to. Uh, the other night but uh, the one thing that we know is that you know that John Totorello is going to have you know his players fired up and ready to go um, and I think it's just a cool storyline that you know Mike Sullivan and, and Totorello who are really close friends they obviously worked together for many years and a few different teams in the NHL are now coaching against each other in the Stanley Cup playoffs so it uh, I, I don't think it's going to be as easy of a series as many people think even though the Penguins probably are the more talented team but I I expect there's going to be some major pushback from uh from the Blue Jackets.
0: Scott, you mentioned the Blue Jackets power play which was so good for the first half of the season. I didn't realize this until John Tortorella brought it up today in the press conference. And he and he brought it up because he was asked about it. and He made that distinction. He's like, "I'm not, you know, I'm not complaining here. This is not me uh this is not gamesmanship, but the Blue Jackets only had 211 power play opportunities this year, number 30 in the league." And he said they've had the lowest power play opportunities in i think he said 25 years or something Now i haven't fact checked any of this so this could be like f- fake news but i mean they, they don't not they don't get a lot of power plays and and they realize it and nick uh not nick benino nick felino was talking about it in the dressing room today and you know and we, we were just asking is it do you think it's a sign of disrespect uh, of the blue jackets or what what is it and he's like you know He's like, it is what it is. Like, we, we can't overanalyze it, but we've come to kind of just understand or expect that we, we may only get one or two power play opportunities a game. And it's this kind of odd you know, quirk about the Blue Jackets that, that they're probably not going to win this series because they're going to light it up in the power play simply because they don't get that many opportunities. Well, sounds like complaining to me. Um, uh, but- <laughs> maybe, maybe. Now, <laughs> yeah. he, he was asked, and he was—you know—someone mentioned them being the lowest in the league, and so he said, "Let me be very clear here." And the other thing has been really funny about the series, Joey. Mac, you mentioned um, Mike Sullivan and John Tortorella being close friends. Like, John Tortorella was asked about it on the first day, and he said, "I'm going to answer this first question about it, and then we are not going to talk about this the rest of the series." Uh, This is about, um, you know, the players and not me and Mike Sullivan. And so he answered it very eloquently and then said, do not ask me another question about Mike Sullivan. (laughs) And then of course, today, you know, I have the first question and I it was kind of about Mike Sullivan. So I had to preface it by saying uh, this is not a Mike Sullivan question, really. (laughs) But I want to know, you know, knowing him so well, do you you know the adjustments he's going to make in the series? And John gave a great answer. And it's it's been a kind of a neat subplot to, to covering this series. The stuff.
2: first text I received uh, after the Penguins won uh, in game six last year, we were in the elevator heading down to the press room, and John Tonarello sent me a text and basically it said, he is so, through an expletive in there, pumped for Sully. No one deserves it more than he does. I'm happy for yeah. him. He's a great coach. So it's it's just, it. I agree, Craig. It's awesome that these two are coaching, coaching against each other uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs.
1: Um. Craig, you had a chance to chat with one of Mike Sullivan's guys, Patrick Hornquist, mm-hmm. and a big part of a Penguins offense. That uh, you know, even with all their injuries and without Chris Letang on the back end, uh, this is still a really dangerous Penguins lineup. And, uh, and Patrick Hornquist is—it's such a nice fit for him. It took a while once he came over from Nashville and the James Neal deal. It uh, took him a while, but uh, t- terrific fit and really an interesting guy. So I'm glad you got a chance to chat with
0: yeah, I Patrick like that Korn-
1: Yeah, so let's give a listen to your conversation with the Pittsburgh
0: forward. Being back here, being in this moment, in the playoffs, I imagine a guy like you, you, have, you probably appreciate it more than anybody, right?
4: Yeah, for sure. I think we all do. It's so hard to win in this league, and obviously we, we, we went through it all last year, and it's, a, it's the best moment in my life. You know, you, you play so hard for so many... So many games and then playoff comps and still in another season almost. And you go through that and it uh, makes you want to do it again.
0: Yeah. You this, this Blue Jackets matchup is so interesting because they kind of they, they know they have to play physical. They've got to do stuff maybe that other teams don't have to to get you off your games. How much of that did you see in, in Game One?
4: I think we see a lot of it. Uh, their first pair were really good. They they get on on our heels a little bit. So, but then in the second and third, I think we we, we bypassed their four check there and get her going and then we took over the game so we know what kind of game it's going to be it's going to be up and down uh, motions out there and we just have to stick with it, play shift by shift and it doesn't matter what happened the shift before or, or the game before we just have to stay in the moment and, and go from there
0: What have you found the biggest difference when you're the reigning champion in terms of how teams approach you guys? I don't know, not, not really, I think yeah. obviously everybody would want to beat us but it's, you want to
4: beat every team so I don't think it's as much of a, a difference uh, to be honest with you
0: no Chris Letang maybe no Matt Murray we don't know how the goaltending is going to shake out big picture in the playoffs um, is this team up for I mean it's, it's hard enough to repeat it as it is yeah. now a few extra challenges how do you guys deal with that as a group no, I think we've been dealing with it all year mm-hmm. you know
4: Letang, Letang haven't played here the last I don't know 25-30 games and then Gino didn't play the last 20 and you know and then we get Hags and Cooney and you, you can go through the list so we've been dealing with this all year and even last season too so we know what 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 to expect and what to what to do to to make us successful out there
1: All right, before we get done here, we've got a couple series I want to touch on briefly. And I don't mean to diminish the Buffalo, uh, Buffalo, I can't even get their names (laughs) right. I don't want to diminish (laughs) the Boston Ottawa series. And actually, Buffalo could be playing in it for, uh, you know, it probably has the lowest profile of any of the series. Uh, Joey Mack, uh, uh, the Bruins, I think, showed uh, a lot in terms of their character. And and we've talked a lot about the experience or lack thereof, depending on, on the teams in the playoffs this year. But. Their leadership, uh, without key personnel uh, lost injury, uh, and coming from behind in Game One, we we surprised, especially given um, you know the injuries, especially along along the blue line, Brandon Carlo and Tory Tori Krug unable to go, and you um, surprised, but that maybe the Bruins showed something.
2: Wow! How about Charlie McAvoy? Unbelievable! Yeah, what a, a, an outstanding performance and. I've talked to uh, numerous, you know, people across the league, uh, you know, in hockey ops over the last couple of days, and and they've all seen like we we knew that this was the type of player that the Boston Bruins were going to get, and you know you can have a, a, a young guy like this, you know, in the World Juniors or at the collegiate level, but you know you're not getting a true test of of their ability until they play against men, and for Charlie McAvoy to step in. His NHL debut in game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs, as you mentioned, Scott, because of injuries to, to key defensemen on that on that blue line for Boston. And it was as he he played like he's been in the league for five years. Um, he was poised. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. I mean, he was. He was poised, and uh, he was he was on the power play. I mean, Bruce Cassidy was putting him in positions to be successful, and, and he responded, and he was jumping up into the play, which – Uh, you know you're not gonna see from many young players especially in their first game you know they keep it simple kind of attitude but he wasn't keeping it simple I mean he went out there and and he played well so when you get a performance like that from a a 19 year old kid making his debut I think the players you know his new teammates probably feed off of that energy a little bit uh, especially in that situation with uh, the Bruins just battered with injuries right now and as it looks right now, David Krejci and, and defenseman Colin Miller probably won't play Game Two on Saturday. Um, but when you have, like I mentioned, you have those young guys making those contributions, the you know the veteran guys maybe feed off of that. So um, yeah, I, I it was a, a true character win by the Bruins the other night, and uh, it was good to see, it, especially that they've been on the sidelines, you know, for the last two seasons, and uh, they got back to the postseason now, and and they're ready to you know, to advance. Um, but again, you know, it's just good to see these young guys contribute.
0: Zach Wierenski shared a great story about Charlie McAvoy. Um, he's, he said, but when, when Charlie, who Charlie's kind of doing the Wierenski plan, or at least he was until he diverted into the NHL playoffs, but he, you know, went to the AHL after playing collegiately this year. So they were, you know, they, they played together in the national team and, and they, they had a text exchange where Zach was giving him his, his advice on what to expect in the AHL. And then they're both about to make their their Stanley Cup playoff debut, and, and Zach's like, I've got no more advice, like I, I'm because cause, uh, apparently Charlie McAvoy texted Texan and said I'm nervous, and Zach was like, Yeah, I'm nervous too. I don't, <laughs> and I have no advice to give you because I don't know what I'm doing here either. And of course, they go both go out and play fantastic games, and um, it's it's pretty amazing. I went back and looked at that. It, this is a bunch of '97s that played on that national team, and it's it's him and Austin Matthews and Matthew Kachuk and and you know the Wierenschki and McAvoy and like what an amazing group that is. And now you know here they are. It wasn't that long ago they were in that program making this big impact in the playoffs already. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun to watch. Right? I mean,
1: it just uh, it makes you feel old, right? But. Uh, <laughs> I read, uh, I will tell. We're going to uh, close with a little discussion on um, Montreal and uh, um, uh, and the, the Buffalo New York Rangers. Rangers. <laughs> but I was I was sitting in the stands watching the Leafs skate uh, before Game One, and I looked down and DJ Smith's the assistant coach. And when I started in sports, he was the captain of the Windsor Spitfires, and I, I was like, Oh my gosh he's <laughs> no, a, like a million years ago so um oh. speaking of offense though that has gone more than a little dry if, if we were sort of holding our breaths hoping for a reunion between Claude Julien the new head coach of the Montreal Canadiens and his former team the Boston Bruins Bruins are holding up their end of the bargain but early on Claude Julien's Canadians uh, really struggling to um, get the offense going and that's not a huge surprise and Obviously, a um, uh, important start to this playoff year for Henrik Lundqvist, the the Ranger netminder, who has never uh, been uh, a big fan of playing in Montreal historically, given his record. But uh, Craig, let's start with you. Is there um, are you surprised that this, you know that the Habs' fatal flaw may be its offense, or is this something we could have predicted a while ago?
0: Well, I'm not ready to jump to any conclusions yet in that series. Um, I, I still think they're gonna they're gonna get things going. I, the, puzzling thing for me is alex galchenyuk and and someday i'm i'm gonna be eager to hear why coaches don't seem to embrace him and, and give him opportunity because i see a kid with so much offensive talent on a team that clearly needs offense and you know you're looking at fourth line time for him and and um i don't know it, you know claude julian i i certainly concede to his his success and his knowledge and i'm sure he has his reasons but yeah i i I think if you're looking for offense maybe give those guys you know maybe more of an opportunity.
1: Joey Mack, are you are you surprised you spend a lot, you know, you you understand that Ranger dynamic pretty well and that it strikes me that early success for Henrik Lundqvist is is going to be huge for that Ranger team in terms. I'm not suggesting they had a crisis of confidence or anything like that, but there have been some ups and downs. And he was terrible against Pittsburgh last year in their first round loss to the Penguins in five games. Um, let me ask it this way then: How important is a strong start in that series for Henrik Lundqvist? Do you think?
2: Oh, no doubt. And going back to uh, the World Cup, I was over in Gothenburg and, and covering Team Sweden, and you know, got to got to talk with with Lundqvist quite a bit you know, during that month and uh, mentioned, you know, he didn't want to talk about the, the upcoming NHL season because he was focused on the World Cup and representing Team Sweden. But uh, one of the days he did relent and, and talked about the, the Rangers season. And, and he, he understood that, you know, he, he's getting up there in age and and the window is, is maybe closing on his opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. Um, and he had obviously good numbers this year. And, you know, there were stretches where maybe he wasn't at his best, but, Um, with the way he played the other night um, you can bet that he's fired up and and now he's ready to make some serious contributions um, you know in in the playoffs because he wants to he wants to advance and, and he wants to win the Stanley Cup and and I think we saw that the other night and he is his success is is or I should say his performance is so important to that team's success and and they feed off of him and you can say that about you know any team and any goaltender in in the league, and especially during the Stanley Cup playoffs. But I think with the Rangers, you know specifically, they feed off of him, and he knows that. Um, and like I said, the windows the windows closing, so um, you know he's going to do it sooner than later. And and I think that and with Craig, I, I mean it's still too early to to figure out which way this series is going to go. But if Henrik glumquist continues to play the way he did in, in Game One, then uh, the Canadians might have uh, might have some trouble ahead here.
0: I think right. Henrik well, Lundqvist, in terms of goalies that had to get off to a fast start, he might have been in my top three. Like, yeah. just because of the season he had, you know, not uh, not up to his normal standard, and the fact that you know Antti Ranta was was really good behind him. And like, if he would have gone sideways for a couple games, that you know, would, would we be saying, hey, maybe the other guy should, should give it a, a, a chance? And now that we don't even have to think about that after the performance he just turned in and maybe we wouldn't have anyways but no i don't I think, know i think he was on my short list of guys i wanted to see perform well to kind of end any threat there
1: yep no question and i think it would have been fair to ask that question so you know sometime before i retire i'm gonna get Hendrik lundquist to teach me how he ties his ties that's my goal so that's <laughs> I my mean, that's on my bucket list so. all right gentlemen it is time and as always at this time of hockey today the podcast we t- encourage our readers go and give us a go to iTunes give us a rating let us know what you think of the playoffs of the podcast let us know what you think uh, about, about the possibility I could tie a tie like uh, Henrik Lundqvist so <laughs> go and join other hockey fans go and do it do it now Joey Mac, Craig Custance always a pleasure travel safely boys and uh, we'll talk again soon
0: We'd like to thank you for listening to today's show. For more great podcasts, check out the Pod Center page at
1: espnradio.com.